Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke chapter 17 is what we'll be reading this morning. If you would please stand. Uh, Luke 17, we'll be reading verses 3 through verse 10. Luke 17, beginning in verse 3, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come and at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Father, we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Give us wisdom and insight as we seek to study and learn from your teaching today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I said last week that we would be talking this morning about forgiveness Uh, And indeed, that is the case. But before we get there, I need to remind you of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Uh, Luke 17, verses 1 through 10, focuses on our life together as followers of Jesus. Uh, In the first section, verses 1 through 2, if you have a Bible, you can just kind of scan over this as I go over it. Uh, Verses 1 through 2, Jesus warned us not to do anything that could tempt another brother to sin. Uh, Don't be a stumbling block to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, the, second, the second section, which we looked at last week, which was the beginning of verse 3, is about confronting a brother in sin. So don't tempt someone to sin. And then if you see a brother in sin, or if a brother sins against you in some way, uh, you have a responsibility to confront them in love and to urge them to repent. We talked about all of that last week. Uh, today is the last section of this text, verses 3 through 4. And here the focus is on forgiveness. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 3 where Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So there's the principle, we must forgive. This is what uh, followers of Jesus do. We forgive. We forgive instantly, permanently, and repeatedly. We'll come back to those words later, but just notice in the text here, there is no delay. If he repents, you forgive. There's not a trial period. It's just instant forgiveness. If he sins against you seven times in one day, you keep on forgiving. Now, why does Jesus say this? Why is it that Christians must forgive? Uh, Well, first of all, it's not because the person deserves it. Uh, If somebody sins against you seven times in a day, they probably don't deserve to be forgiven uh, the eighth time. But uh, we don't forgive because the person deserves it. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We're going to read the parallel passage of this account in Matthew 18. You'll see a lot of similarities there. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, 
you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You remember all of that from last week. Uh, if a brother sins against you, confront him. If he repents, you forgive him. Uh, if, if not, then you take a few others with you, bring it before the church. You follow this process in hopes that the person will repent and then rec reconciliation can take place. But notice verse 21. This is immediately after giving those instructions. Peter comes up and says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So Peter hears Jesus teaching on forgiveness, that if a brother sins against you, you go, you confront them, and then you, you forgive them if they repent. And he says, well, well, how many times do I do this? There's got to be a limit here. And so he asks Jesus, what if somebody were to sin against me seven times? Uh, can I stop forgiving him at that point? Jesus says to him, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Uh, by the way, there's a debate there about how best to translate that uh, phrasing there. It could be 77 times or it could be 70 times seven, uh, which would be about 490. Uh, if you're wondering about that, that's really beside the point. Uh, Jesus is not giving us here a calculation of how many times we need to forgive and where that limit is. Jesus is saying to Peter, stop counting. Uh, forgiveness means I'm done keeping score. I've decided I'm going to lose count. And we should keep on extending forgiveness because we've been forgiven. So we'll keep reading. Verse 23, Jesus continues, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, so you see he's in storytelling mode. This is a parable of Jesus. Uh, he's going to give us a parable to illustrate his point that he just made about how we are to keep on forgiving others. And it starts with a king, a king who is settling his accounts with the people that owe him money. And so verse 24, he begins to settle and one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, 10,000 talents in today's currency is roughly $3 billion. Okay, if you're really curious about how we know that, I'll ask me after the service and I'll walk you through that. I figure most of you don't care. Uh, the point here is this is a ridiculous amount of money. Okay, unpayable debt. Verse 25, since he could not pay the debt, uh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. This is what was hap This is um, what happened in the ancient world. When you owed somebody a debt and you couldn't pay it, it's not like today where you can just declare bankruptcy and it's all over. You can max out a credit card and you know, you're, you're fine, so, so to speak, for a while. Uh, in that day, if you could not pay the debt on time, uh, you went into slavery. Uh, slavery was not race-based or anything like that. It was a, a way of... Um, repaying a debt that you had incurred. And so if I stole from somebody or if I owed a, a huge debt and couldn't pay it back, uh, I would become their slave for a period of time until the debt was considered paid back. Now this guy owes $3 billion. Okay, he's going to be a slave for the rest of his life. There's no way he's ever going to make restitution for this. That's, uh, that is what the judicial system at the time required. Verse 26, so this guy falls on his knees. He's, he's imploring, begging the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. Now, when Jesus said that, there must have been an audible gasp in the crowd listening. Uh, this king just forgave a guy's debt of $3 billion. He let him walk free. Uh, he brought his balance down to zero. Unbelievable kindness. Verse 28. Now, this is the guy who has just been forgiven that huge debt. He goes out, he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
uh, which is roughly around $6,000. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So the, his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? Uh, this was the guy 10 minutes ago. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should day, uh, pay the debt. Now, what kind of person would do this? After having been spared from enslavement and being forgiven this enormous unpayable debt, how could you be so cruel to somebody who owed you money? Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now here comes the application, verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, what kind of person would grab someone by the throat and demand to be paid after having been forgiven a huge debt? Who does that? Jesus' answer is every one of us when we refuse to forgive someone. God has forgiven us of all of our sins. How could we withhold forgiveness from someone else? Uh, we who have been forgiven so much must forgive others. Forgiveness is not supposed to just be given to you. It's supposed to be given through you. You're forgiven, and so now turn around and forgive others. We forgive because we've been forgiveness. Next, let's talk about the extent of our forgiveness. Colossians 3.12, Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are to forgive, not only because the Lord's forgiven us, but Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven us. Now, how has God forgiven us? Uh, if you've repented of your sins and trusted Christ for salvation, he forgave you of all of your sins forever. As far as the east is from the west, so far he's removed those sins from you. Uh, he forgave everything. He forgave instantly, permanently, and repeatedly, and we are to forgive in the same way that God forgives us. First of all, we forgive instantly. When you repent, when you believe the gospel, your sins are immediately forgiven. Uh, there's no probation period where you have to prove yourself to God. God doesn't demand that you do certain good works before he'll forgive you. No, you are forgiven immediately. You don't have to clean up your life before God accepts you. When you're in the deep pit of sin and you're covered in filth and you call out to God and turn from your sins to follow him, immediately you are forgiven. Uh, listen to Psalm 107. This is a great text describing the forgiveness of God to those of us who are lost in our sins. Verse 4, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distresses. He led them by a straightway till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. 
He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. He burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They, were, uh, they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. You keep seeing that repetition throughout the psalm of a sinner who is in a dark place. They're lost. They're out of options. They've hit rock bottom in their life, and then they call out to the Lord. And every time, God instantly responds. While they're sitting in the pit, uh, while they're wandering in the desert, while they're staggering in the storm, all of these is just uh, metaphors of a sinner who is lost and hopeless. doesn't matter how long they are uh, in that condition. doesn't matter uh, how far down they are. As soon as they call out to God, he instantly forgives. And so we know that salvation is not earned by works. It's the gift of God's grace. And it's a good thing because if it was up to you and I to earn forgiveness, uh, it would never happen. But God in his mercy forgives those who don't deserve it. And as he forgives, so we are to forgive. We must forgive instantly. We don't wait for someone to prove themselves. We don't wait for them to make it up to us. We forgive instantly. Some people say, I, I can't forgive if I can't forget. Uh, actually, the opposite is true. As long as you're holding on to what they did to you and re refusing to forgive them, you'll never forget. Unforgiveness is like bondage. And when you choose to forgive, you're not just releasing the person who wronged you, but you're setting yourself free as well. So forgiveness must be instant. Next, we forgive permanently. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. When God forgives us, our sins are gone forever. Whatever you did in the past, when you came to Jesus, it's all erased. It's as if it never happened. And as God forgives, so we are to forgive others. If you have forgiven someone, it must be permanent. Uh, in other words, choosing to forgive someone means it never comes up again. If you bring it up six months later, you didn't forgive them. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold things over you that you did in your past? And so we ought to extend the same forgiveness to others. Next, we forgive repeatedly. And this is the point Jesus makes in our text. If he sins against you, he says, seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And if you're thinking, well, what if he sins against me eight times in the day? Am I off the hook then? No, remember the 77 thing in Matthew. Uh, the point here is just keep on forgiving. You say, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven again. Uh, have you ever committed the same sin more than once? Uh, that's funny, isn't it? We all do that, of course. 
Uh, how many times have we come to God in prayer for the 14th time this week and said, God, I blew it again. I know I told you I'd never do that sin again, but here I am back asking for forgiveness. And aren't we glad that God forgives us repeatedly? And so we ought to forgive others repeatedly. John said of Jesus in chapter 1 of his gospel, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Uh, Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's mercies are new every morning. I'm in need of his grace upon grace, his continual, repeated forgiveness of my sins. And so we ought to extend the same forgiveness to others. Uh, Catherine and I have our, our anniversary coming up next month, and uh, we're planning to go away for a few days. And if you text me or call me, you will not hear back. I can just promise you that. But uh, we haven't been married too long. We've been married uh, two years, I guess, this November. <clears throat> but I have learned one thing in our marriage thus far, and uh, I think this is, uh, take, take this for what it's worth, I think this is uh, really a key to good marriages. You have to be good forgivers, because every marriage is one sinner marrying another sinner. And so you're going to do things that bother each other, you're going to sin against each other, you're going to say and do stupid things, and you're going to do them over and over and over again. This is one reason that marriage is hard. Uh, because one of the hardest things to forgive are repeated offenses. And if you're married to somebody for a while, especially us guys, we tend to just keep doing the same things over and over again. We make the same mistakes. And so uh, if you're going to try and keep score, that relationship is going to be ruined. You've got to forgive and you've got to do so repeatedly. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us instantly, permanently, and repeatedly. Now let's ask a question. Uh, that I bet somebody here has been wondering. Uh, Luke 17, 3, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he repents. So what if he doesn't? Uh, do we wait until the person apologizes before we forgive them? What if they never do? Uh, is it okay to withhold forgiveness in that situation? I had some things written down on this point, but then I read something another pastor wrote on this, and it was way better, so I'm just going to read that for you. Stephen J. Cole wrote this. Uh, Sorry, I'm finding it in my notes here. Should I forgive the person if he does not repent or if he only repents superficially? Here's his answer. Uh, is forgiveness supposed to be unconditional? We are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's Ephesians 4.32. God does not pardon our sins until we repent. But he made provision to pardon our sins long before we repented, and he acted in kindness toward us to lead us to repentance. That's Romans 2.4. Therefore, we must root out all bitterness towards the person who has sinned against us and genuinely seek his welfare by our attitudes, words, and actions. We should pray for his repentance. We should look for opportunities to do kind things for him. And the minute he repents and asks for our forgiveness, we should freely grant it. That's how God forgave us in Christ, bearing the penalty for our sins. Uh, let's finish reading up our text here, verses 5 through 10. We'll work through this quickly. Jesus has just told the disciples, forgive one another, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, keep forgiving. And so verse 5, the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Uh, they're like, man, this sounds hard. I'm not sure if we're up for this. Verse 6, Jesus says to them, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or Keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. 
Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me, while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? The implied answer there is no, of course not. Verse 10, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Okay, so the apostles come to Jesus. They say, increase our faith. And Jesus basically says, uh, you don't need your faith to increase. You need your obedience to increase. You don't need more faith. You just need to do what I'm telling you to do. And he gives here the example of a slave that comes in from the field and serves his master dinner. And here's the point of all of that. If you were a slave in the ancient world, uh, your job description was very simple. Uh, you got up every morning, you did what your master told you, and then you did it again tomorrow. You had uh, There was no such thing as clock in, clock out. You belonged to your master, and you did whatever they said. That was your job for however long you were a slave. And so verse 10 is the application. A slave is not thanked for doing his job. That's what's expected. Okay, And so you too, when you've done all of this that I've commanded you to, talking about the forgiveness that he's just talked about, don't pat yourselves on the back as though you're a great Christian. This is your duty. Uh, unworthy there in verse 10 is probably too strong of a word. I think the NET does a better job translating this. It says, so you too, when you have done everything you were commanded to, should say, we are slaves undeserving of special praise. We have only done what was our duty. And so he's saying there, uh, when you come to Christ and you accept him as your Lord, that means you're becoming his servant, right? You belong to Jesus. He is your master. So do what he says. We often think of becoming a Christian as making Jesus my slave. Uh, I pray to God. I expect him to do what I ask him to do. I come with all of these expectations that I place on him. But the call to Christian discipleship in the New Testament is an invitation to come serve Jesus. It's coming to Jesus without demands, just saying, here I am. I want to live for you, and I'll do whatever you command. And so this issue of forgiving those who sin against us is basic Christianity. We don't need more faith to do this. We just need to obey what he's clearly instructed us to do. We want to be more like Jesus. At least we say we do. How do we think that happens? Some of us are like the disciples here. We just want God to kind of zap us and make us better Christians, increase our faith, give me more, make me more spiritual. But that's not how this works. God grows us by stretching us. It's sort of like building muscle. You can't just zap muscles into your body. Uh, you have to work. You have to push yourself beyond what you think you can do. And the more that you push and stretch, the stronger you get. James 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is how God grows us. Uh, he makes us more patient by putting us in situations where our patience is tried. He makes us more forgiving by giving us opportunities to forgive. There's no magic prayer you pray that makes you a better Christian. Spiritual growth happens slowly over time as you follow the teachings of Scripture more and more in your life. And so every time someone sins against you, that is an opportunity for you to grow and to be more like Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 32, Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We are never more like God than when we forgive those who have sinned against us. This is what Christians do. This is central to the heart of Christianity. A few practical thoughts here for when it's hard to forgive. Uh, number one, if you're struggling to forgive someone, ask yourself, do you really want to? Uh, sometimes we're struggling to forgive someone because we don't want to forgive them. 
Uh, we want to get back at them. We want to hold a grudge because if I forgive them, they'll get away with it. Uh, yes, uh, that's accurate. That's what forgiveness means. Forgiveness is saying, I'm going to let go of this. You did me wrong and I'm not going to get even. You're releasing the debt that they owe against you, just like God did for you. Number two, if you're struggling to forgive someone, stop rehearsing what they did. Uh, don't rehearse the offense to others or to yourself. Uh, don't dwell on it. Don't talk about it to everybody else. You're never going to forgive if you're constantly bringing that back up again and again. It's like ripping open a scab every day. It's never going to heal if you keep doing that. Number three, pray for them. Every time you're tempted to dwell on what that person did to you, pray for them. And I don't mean pray that their, their car breaks down and they break a leg. Okay, Pray for their uh, spiritual good. Pray for their benefit. Number four, do good for them. Uh, my wife is really good at this. When she's upset with somebody, she'll go buy them something or, or go out of her way to do something for them. It's really sick. Um, yes, if you get a gift from my wife, it's not just kidding. <laughs> but if you really want to let go of something someone did against you, go out of your way to be a blessing to them. God can use that to help soften your heart towards them. And it might also lead them to repentance. Uh, isn't this exactly what Jesus told us to do? Luke 6 I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good for those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Let's wrap up with a few concluding thoughts. How important is forgiveness? Uh, you all know this verse, but in the model prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Have you ever thought about how strange that last part of that verse is? Uh, do you pray that? Do you ask, hey, God, forgive me just like I've forgiven those who sin against me? Uh, some of us wouldn't like that very much if God forgave us the way that we forgive others. And in case you didn't get the point there, Jesus goes on to clarify in verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, you cannot be right with God if you are holding on to unforgiveness. If you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. Uh, remember these Venn diagrams? I'm sure you all know how this works, but I'm going to go over this just quickly before we get into my point here. Uh, you've got one circle that has a list of things that meet a certain criteria, and then you've got the other circle that has uh, different criteria. And then in the middle are those things that, that uh, the overlap, right, that meet both criteria. Okay, so let's run through an example of this so we all know how this works. Let's put healthy foods uh, on one side. This would be things like uh, kale, uh, broccoli, spinach, eggs. Okay, on the other side, let's put taste good foods. Okay, this is stuff like ice cream, uh, pizza, french fries, cookies. Okay, now in the middle is the stuff that is both healthy and tastes good. 
and that's salmon. That's it. That's the only thing that belongs in that category. Uh, now, let's do another, another Venn diagram based on Matthew 6. On one side, we'll put people who are withholding forgiveness, and the other circle is people who are right with God. And notice that in both circles is no one. There is zero overlap between these two categories. You cannot withhold forgiveness from someone and be right with God. Let's read again, Matthew 6. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You cannot have a right relationship with God as long as you're holding on to bitterness towards someone else. Uh, this is a big deal to God. I hope you're getting that sense. Uh, you see how he feels in Matthew 18, like the king who forgave the guy that owed him $3 billion, and then he finds that same person choking a dude who owned him, uh, owed him a few thousand bucks, and he throws that guy in prison for it. And the king is like, what is wrong with you? I just forgave you a $3 billion debt. Can't you show a little kindness to somebody else? Uh, that's God's perspective on us when we withhold forgiveness from others. God is thinking to us, uh, I just forgave all of your sins you've ever committed in your life. Can't you extend some kindness to someone else? You say, but you don't know how much they hurt me. Jesus died on a cross because of your sins against him. I think we've caused him some hurt. Uh, they just keep doing the same thing over and over. They never learn. And God is like, yeah, I know a thing or two about that. Have you looked in the mirror lately? We who have been forgiven so much ought to be quick to forgive others. It's not always easy, but it is always right. And if you understand the magnitude of the sins that you and I have committed against God and the fact that he forgave all of them when we didn't deserve it, that should motivate each and every one of us to extend the same grace to others. Forgiving those who hurt you is one of the hardest things that you will do as a Christian. And it's also one of the most powerful witnesses of your faith. It's a great opportunity to display Christ to those around you. Uh, people often complain about hypocrisy in the church, and uh, largely that complaint has some validity to it. There's a lot of people that take the label of Christian but don't live like it. But one of the greatest testimonies of your faith is when you forgive someone who does you wrong. That is an undeniable uh, witness to the work of Christ in your life. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.